This week on Ultra 64, we're playing Paper Mario, and I failed to think of anything clever to say about that. everyone to Ultra 64. We are the internet's comprehensive Nintendo 64 podcast. Each and every week we are playing a different randomly selected game from the Nintendo 64 catalog and we're flattening it out, squeezing between the cracks and timing our button presses just right. My name is Steve Gunley. Hello, I am slimming my way to two dimensions, Woody Siskowski. And we are joined by a very special guest. Please introduce yourself, very special guest. Hi, my name is Maddie. Um, I'm here, I guess, because I was on Retronauts for a Mario RPG episode. <laughs> um, other And because you're generally Aww, awesome. Thank you. Um, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of this game, so I'm just happy to be here to talk about it. Uh, we're very excited to have you. Uh, Maddie's a fantastic artist, and we're uh, we're going to give you some time to plug your stuff later as well. But first, I think we must talk about Paper Mario. That is the reason for the season today. What is this podcast, Steve? This I is... already did that. Oh, yeah. right. We're playing. Did we already say we're playing all the N64 games? Yeah, I said oh, that. Oh, you say it every time, right? I, I say it every time. All right. I'm, yeah. I'm still catching up. This, okay. is, this is only our second time in the same room, right? <laughs> yeah, we're still getting back used to not like not being quarantined <laughs> for a while, so we're, we're, we're getting it together. But we are playing Paper Mario today. I am so excited to be playing Paper Mario because this is one of only a very, very select handful of RPGs on the Nintendo 64. And I don't like a like a baby size hand. A baby size hand. It's like a tiny baby hand full of Nintendo I games. I can't think of another one. <laughs> we, we, we we wouldn't blame you because yeah, the other the, ones are not worth thinking. This about. is literally the only There's, one oh, we played. Ogre Battle, which is, oh, we, Ogre Battle was it was, was a neat RPG. Um, yeah, and then there's a couple super bland generic ones. Quest sixty four. Anyone? <laughs> yes, Perhaps the yes. most generically titled <laughs> RPG ever. Most generically titled anything yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. So yeah, the the Nintendo sixty four has had a lot of difficulties launching an RPG on their system. Uh, but it's, I, I don't think it's controversial to say that Paper Mario is far, far, far in a way the best and most important one out of all of them. It has really, really stood the test of time. So like if they only had one good RPG on the system, I'm glad it was this one because this is a really, really, really good this, RPG. This game maybe has aged the best of any game in existence. Right? Like it's crazy to think that this game is 20 years old more than 20 years old yeah no, no i guess about 19 years old but yeah 20 it, years old in japan yeah yeah because yeah. it, it no aspect of it feels dated no yeah, no and the mechanics the graphics yeah. are i mean the one thing about doing paper-based graphics is that they are just they can withstand anything so yeah exactly paper one of the most durable substances <laughs> known to man <laughs> Yeah, and Nintendo is notoriously reticent about doing any kind of 2D anything on the Nintendo 64 because, you know, it's the new big system and everything needs to be 3D because 3D is the dimension of the future. But uh, I think by going back to basics, by doing a little kind of a simple but very creative art style, I think they really stumbled onto something I cool mean, here. I mean, do you think that that was the mentality of why they decided to go with this paper theme? Because this game doesn't sort of lean on that as a gameplay mechanic all that much. No, not really. Um, like this, the sequel would have more things where it would sort of be papery themed, like you would turn 
towards the wall and I, slip through cracks or you turn into a paper I airplane. Feel yeah, like go it's ahead, Maddie. Probably because it's saved on resources. So by having yeah. all the characters be just a plane instead of like a polygonal you know, form, it just saved on memory and so they were able to make a big RPG with a lot of stuff in it. I mean this m- this might be the longest game on the system. Maybe I, I don't know how long. I'm Ogre sure. Battle I'm goes sure. On. Ogre Battle, Ogre is Battle probably goes on longer. It has but this, a much longer feel. This is a good. This is a good 20, 30 hour game, which is pretty impressive for a Nintendo sixty four cartridge. Um, let's talk a little bit about Mario RPGs in general, because uh, it's a it's a well that uh, Nintendo doesn't go to very often, but it's always Certainly very wonderful not and enough. welcome when they do. I think I really love Mario RPGs because like. This is the time when Nintendo seems to be having the most fun with the character in a, in a, I don't know, like they're they're digging into his mythology and they're kind of di- building out the world a little bit. And they're always witty and they're always goofy and uh, just kind of like a fun little world to play around in. Yeah, so I mean the first one of these was, you know, the the very accurately titled Super Mario RPG. Um it says, does what it says yeah. on the tin. Yeah. <laughs> Which was mostly a Square, like it was developed by Squaresoft. Yeah. And I think the weird thing about that game is it feels like a very, it's sort of more of an interpretation yeah. of Mario. It's like, it's clearly someone else has drawn on the Mario well and is kind of giving their own weird version of it. Sort and of. That gives it a really cool, unique identity, but it's also kind of, I don't know, it doesn't quite feel like the, the truest Mario game. Yeah, where yeah, I, can um, see that. I feel like Paper Mario really is like we are sticking to what Mario is about and the aesthetic of what Mario is about, and putting that in an RPG. Yeah, there's uh, Maddie. What's I was oh, yeah, just go gonna say. There's even the, it's like Mario RPG had the Square influence, which made it kind of weird and all these weird enemies and things like that. But even Paper Mario, a lot of stuff that's in Paper Mario isn't anywhere else in the Mario universe. There's a lot of really weird no. character designs, which are incredible. And it's, <laughs> even though it's Mario, it's very, it's very different. And like, you know, you have Goombas and you have like Goomba friends. And it's like, you don't have that in any of the other Marios. They're always an enemy. And so I yeah, I was really curious about what the ecosystem and what like the cast system in the mushroom <laughs> yeah, well, is after playing this game, because it's like these are these are all bad guys. But like you don't interact with any of these characters as bad guys. Yeah, first, well, it's always like there's a peaceful village of Goombas, a peaceful village of Koopas. They're just normal dudes trying to live their life. Y- and so what's happening here? Are some people being conscripted? Yeah, is and this, I've been, like, I mean, I've been streaming this lately and we we're just trying to kind of figure out the lore as we play along and it's like well the goombas <laughs> in the village have square teeth and the evil goombas have pointy teeth is it like mm-hmm. is it like a carnivorous thing or like what like we're trying to just like understand what's happening some, like, in this world <laughs> Did some of the Goombas just go feral and just have to go out and live in the woods and then jump out and attack you every once in a while? I mean, there's a there's a lot of stuff in here that's not really explained. Like, the very premise of, like, Paper Mario, you'd kind of think, like, maybe Mario starts out as normal at the beginning of the game and yeah. then, like, Bowser transforms him into a paper form. Mm-hmm. It's like, nope, it's nothing like that. This no, is just Mario's pa- Mushroom Kingdom's paper now. It's a, it's, a, it's a storybook, yeah. Yeah, it's all supposed to play out like it's a pop-up book, but, like... <laughs> 
Could you imagine how big this pop-up book would have to be? <laughs> it's a test of pop-up it books. It spans an acre if you lay it out on end. Now I really uh, want to read the infinite jest pop-up book. Oh, man, yeah. so do I. Um, yeah, so uh, we're obviously going to be talking about the Paper Mario series a little bit, and I have a little bit more to talk about with Mario RPG. But I think the other Mario RPG series we're talking about is Mario and Luigi, which is a really fun little series of handheld RPGs that uh, splits the difference between Mario and Luigi. I think these are some of the funniest games, like the funniest first first party games that Nintendo has done. Uh, They really lean into the goofiness of it. It's got lots of really clever mechanics. Uh, so definitely check out Mario and Luigi, uh, that whole series. I think that series, the the downfall of that series was they kind of flooded the market. Yeah. I mean, even though there's only five of them, mm. to have like five games spread amongst two systems that all kind of use the same mechanics. Yeah. Whenever, whenever you look at a series and you're like, I have no idea the difference between these games, right. it's hard to sort of get into them. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I like how weird they go with it. Like, the second Mario and Luigi game has you going back in time and befriending the baby versions of yourself. It's really nice to see the baby Mario Brothers in a game that's not just Mario Kart. Yeah, It's so weird to be, like, the one game that you're going to have these baby characters in is where they drive. Because babies aren't allowed to drive. They're not. It's it's in the Constitution. (laughs) 24th Amendment, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and I guess one other weird one to talk about would be the recently released Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle, which is the one and only strategy RPG Mario's ever done. And it's weird as hell. Uh, the idea of it is weird on its face that it would cross over with Ubisoft's Rabbids characters at all. And it's even weirder that it's really, really good. It's like a, it's like a really good XCOM knockoff with Mario and Rabbids. Uh, yeah, it shouldn't work. Absolutely does. Definitely check out Mario and Rabbids if you have a chance. All right, let's talk about Paper Mario. This game was released on February 5th, 2001, released or developed by Intelligent Systems and published by Nintendo, and this was exclusive to the N64 and, of course, that weird Chinese handheld console, the IQ Player. So, (laughs) Intelligent Systems is, like, the best gaming company that I didn't know I loved because I always... They've got kind of a generic name, and I never really think about them, but they've been a subsidiary of Nintendo since the beginning, and they're kind of their secret weapon. They were the team that localized most of the launch games for the NES, so your Hogan's Alley, your Duck Hunt, things like that. Okay. Yeah, because those <laughs> games had so much text to translate. It's true. They were very difficult. Uh, but they first knocked it out of the park with their uh, uh, debut as you know doing some original games mm-hmm. uh, with a little title called Fire Emblem, which came out in 1990 in Japan, and it would not come out here for another decade. <laughs> Uh, But in the meantime, they had a lot of success developing games such as, oh, I don't know, Mario Paint, uh, Super Metroid, my favorite game of all time, WarioWare, Advance Wars, Tetris Attack, and the entire Paper Mario series. Those are, that is a high pedigree. That's an amazing pedigree, and you kind of never really think about them because, yeah, they're just sort of background operators. But uh, last year, they had a huge, huge success with Fire Emblem The Three Houses, and they're set to have another one next month with Paper Mario the Origami King. I'm very excited to see that one. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I feel like Paper Mario has kind of gotten off track lately. It, it's kind of, it never, it's weird because it really set an identity of what it was in its first two games. And then they decided that they didn't want to stick with that. And they haven't quite found a system that works for it again. And I don't think I've played Beyond Thousand Year Door. Maddie, have you played many more of the Paper Mario games? So I played quite a bit of Super Paper Mario, which I think is a 
great game in its own right, even though yeah. I prefer the RPG system. Mm-hmm. Um, Super Mario still has all the writing and like the characters and that charm of the Paper Mario series, even though it doesn't have the RPG system. I played Sticker Star. I don't think I got very far, I think, because it was like both that and I think Color Splash have like the limited use kind of RPG system where you yeah. have... And it's just like I, uh, I was just kind of like I don't really like it's this. It's very odd because they they have like an overworld map similar to like Super Mario World or something. Yeah, so it's, I yeah I don't know. I just it just didn't grab me. I haven't I didn't try Color Splash at all because I didn't have a Wii U. Um, yep, you yeah. you and the rest of humanity. I'm the, one, for I'm the one person in the world I, with a, a Wii U. Apparently, it's amazing. <laughs> Everyone that has one is like it's like the greatest system, but. No one bought it. No, Those people no. are lying to you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. But you know, hey, I'm glad I'm glad that there are people that like it. I mean, I have a complete collection, collection because it was all very very cheap. But uh, I don't all, have all a, eight games. All eight games that didn't get released to Switch later. Um, so a little bit about the development of this game. So this is kind of seen as a spiritual successor to Mario RPG, but it is very much its own thing. When it was being developed, it was going under the name Super Mario RPG 2, uh, but Square was never actually involved in the production of this one. I'm really and... glad they didn't stick with that, mm-hmm. um, because it, it, I mean, it's very cool that they, you know, made another Mario RPG, but if this game had been called Super Mario RPG 2 yeah. and released as the game that it is, it would have been hard not to be sort of befuddled and disappointed. I think you would probably end up calling it Paper Mario anyway, just as a shorthand. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah which... Well, and I think, like, even though Paper, or Mario RPG is one of my favorite games ever, mm. I think that one does not hold up as well. Mm. Like, the isometric thing is really weird for people. Yep. Um, for me, it's like the perfect game ever, but I understand that, you know, like younger people trying to play it are like, what is this mess? Yeah. There's a so. lot of very bizarre sort of mazes and puzzles in that game. Oh, a lot the, of <laughs> the one where you have to, is that like the tadpoles? You have to move along a music staff? That, to, like, that's definitely across? a yeah. part of it. That was um, so hard. Like you're in the fortress and it's like count all these barrels. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. yeah I hate, the- I hated that. That's one of the worst things in any games is when they put these weird, like, Qui- they put in math. Yeah, yeah, math or quiz mechanics. Like Banjo-Kazooie took me so long to beat because I got to the end and they're like, now we're going to ask you questions about the game. And you're like, um, can I just beat this game? But you weren't you weren't memorizing all the terrible puns throughout yeah. that whole game? Oh my yeah. God, how dare you? But yeah. yeah, I feel like that game is sort of bogged down with a lot of weirdness that yeah. gives it a, a lot of a, appeal. And this game is... We're going to pull out a lot of the weirdness from Mario RPG. I would say, yeah, yeah, this is decidedly a less, uh, I mean, I don't think edgy is the right word for either of these titles, but it's decidedly <laughs> It's less sub- subversive. It's more clean cut. Yeah. It, yeah. Knows, it knows what it is. Yeah, yeah. Super Mario RPG is the bad boy. You don't want to bring home <laughs> to mama. But pa- Saboshi. Paper Mario, that's, that's wedding material mm-hmm. right there. This, I mean, <laughs> Paper Mario may be like the cleanest designed game. Yeah, it, like that there is because all I mean, we're jumping the gun a little bit here. But yeah. like, aside from like the graphics being so simple and so like 
clear of what what everything is the mechanics are all like we've trimmed out all these elements of fat yeah every element of the mechanic should be here and there's really nothing extra yeah i guess my like one thing i always remember super mario rpg um is the characters have a stat of like vigor and valor oh right and every time i saw i'm like what the hell does that do (laughs) it's it just seemed like nonsense yeah yeah, yeah, no, especially being well, like a okay, kid so playing a little bit it and more it's about, like... Uh, so, you know, Square and Nintendo had a really good working relationship around the Super NES time. You know, they had Secret of Mana and Chrono Trigger and Super Mario RPG. And, all you these know, really... the Final Fantasy games. The Final no Fantasy, you know, deal. who cares about those, yeah. But uh, things got a little uh, testy between Square and Nintendo around the time of the Nintendo 64. So originally, Final Fantasy VII was being developed for the Nintendo 64, Uh, And there's some footage out there that you could find of it, totally different characters and totally different battle system. But it soon became apparent to Square that the vision that they had for the game wasn't going to be possible on the N64 cartridge. And so they decided to withdraw development, which led apparently led Nintendo to just say, oh, yeah, well, fuck you. And uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Uh, Kind of made things a little frosty with them for a while. And so Square went to develop for uh, PlayStation and the rest is history there. And but that left a big hole in the Nintendo 64 catalog where that RPGs only wa- would go. Only wads of paper could fill. Only wads and wads of it reams, <laughs> if you will. Uh, so yeah, things went got a little testy there. Uh, but you know, either way, we still got this Paper Mario game. Uh, this is the 36th best-selling game on the system. That's just below Two Rock Two and just above WCW NWO World Tour. <laughs> it sold a total of 1.3 million copies. Which, if you consider that there are only about 10 games left in the Nintendo 64 life cycle at this point, pretty yeah, impressive. I guess that is worth emphasizing about this game is like how late it came out in the N64 lifestyle. Oh, that's- Interesting, because Mario RPG was the same way as well. Yeah. Like, that came out right at the end of the Super Nintendo. It's very strange. And they corrected it with Thousand Year Door. That was within, like, right at the heyday of the GameCube, as much as the GameCube had a heyday. (laughs) But, uh, uh, yeah, so it it was very strange that people literally dusted off their N64 for (laughs) this game, you know? They weren't doing it for the Powerpuff Girls game. Uh, All right, a little bit about the plot here. This is a uh, very, very basic story. One might even say paper thin. Oh, oh, I'm here all week. I mean, it's 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 a little thicker than like the new Super Mario Brothers games. Oh yeah, those games are kind of funny because I was playing New Super Mario Brothers, and literally the the cutscene at the beginning is Toad runs up to you and says, "Peach has been kidnapped," and then you start. Yeah. And you're like, okay, cool. I, yep, I, I know the drill. Yeah, yeah, all right, all right. I've got an alarm set on my phone for this very instance. Yeah, yeah I'm on it. Um, so uh, th- it's pretty basic RPG stuff here. So you're in the Mushroom Kingdom, and there's a sacred artifact called the Star Rod, which has the ability to grant wishes, and it's protected by seven star people. Uh, as the story, be- story begins, Bowser, along with his lackey, Kami Koopa, who is a magic Koopa, is yeah. that right? Magic Koopa. Uh, they steal the star rod and they use it to make Bowser invincible. They just go like right up there. Like there's these star guardians yeah. in star heaven and Bowser just takes that weird flower pot that he rides around in. Oh, yeah. And this yeah. flies up there and takes it. He even comments. He's like, that was really easy. Well, he first, the clever thing he does is he tapes Kami Koopa into the story. Like you see her <laughs> like in the in the story now, like stuck on there with scotch tape. So he just literally inserted her in there so she could steal the uh, star rod for him. So yes, uh, Bowser makes himself invincible. Mario attempts to fight him off, but he's easily defeated. Bowser steals 
Princess Peach's castle with Peach inside and flies away. So now Mario has to make his way across the kingdom, rescue the seven captured star elders, and grow powerful enough to take down Bowser. So yes, this is very storybook uh, kind of style, and I think I, I had the same reaction to booting it up this time that I did the first time I played it, which is like, oh, this is Babytown Follies. This is uh, this is way too young for me to be playing this mm. game right now. It just seems like, uh, I don't know, it, it seems very, very babyish when you're starting off. Uh, once you give it an hour or so, it'll kind of grow into itself and the mechanics will start to emerge and uh, it... It, I'll, I'm not going to say it ages up necessarily. But. It, it starts out very slow. Yeah. Because you, you fall down and you meet this little nice Goomba atomic family mm-hmm. and they're like... Nuclear family? Yeah. <laughs> atomic family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, you That's just... That's why they look that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've been, they've been muted. The whole Mushroom Kingdom is just a blast zone. <laughs> really bikini at all i was once a man (laughs) and they're like go find this hammer and so you're kind of just going on these boring fetch quests and it takes a little bit before the actual mechanics of the game kind of arise i always forget that you yeah i forgot this too the first playthrough i'm like why don't i have my time hits yet why don't i have my time hits yet i hate this this sucks (laughs) and it is interesting yeah so the main gimmick of you sort of the mario rpg in general is the idea of the timed hits and it was introduced in mario rpg but i think it plays even a bigger role in paper mario because i feel like you could sort of get by in mario rpg without doing it as much well it was much harder to execute in mario rpg Mm. too it was just it was much more finicky so like and the direction was not as clear. It. No. Like it was always like time A at the right time to make it work. And this, it sort of gives you a big A button yeah, that tells yeah. you exactly when you need to press A. Yeah. Um, but it is, so it's like in your battle system, if you jump on an enemy, you can press A at the right time and you'll jump on them again, or your hammer will do extra damage by kind of pulling back on the stick and letting it go at the right time. Yeah. But yeah, like Maddie was saying, when you, you start this game, you don't have these timed hits. And it's it's amazing how much worse this game is without that mechanic. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes a little bit. You actually have to beat the prologue before you get the little item that you need to start executing those timed hits. And then that's when things really, really start to open up. And then things get even more developed as you go on and you rescue star spirits because then you get different star attacks mm-hmm. that recharge over time. So kind of like a limit break, uh, which is a great mechanic that I'd completely forgotten about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this game... I feel like all of the mechanics are so simple but so nicely balanced. Um, so many times in RPGs, like I feel like it would be easy to mistake this game as just being very simplistic, mm-hmm. but I think it's sort of just what it needs to be. Like Most of your attacks deal two or three damage, yeah. as opposed to an RPG where your attack deals 57 damage. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't know, I feel like that makes it so much more strategic of being able to see what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was going to say the same thing because it's like, you when, like you're saying, it seems like a baby RPG when you start because right. you're like, wow, I have 10 hit points. Why is this, you know, baby math for babies? <laughs> but it's every every hit point matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and, and that's what makes it so interesting. And when you're playing, you have, and also like the way that the enemies are in a line and it's like, if you use the hammer, you can only hit the front ones. If you jump, you can hit the back ones. Um, you know, you can't jump on spiked enemies. You can switch between you and your partner who goes first. Mm-hmm. And you're doing a lot of really minor calculations to try and defeat your enemies really strategically instead of just kind of 
trying to do the most damage or something like that. Yeah. Which I think makes it really engaging. I mean, I was very pleasantly surprised when I was playing today that I'm like, oh, one of the most valid options, the most valid strategy in this particular battle I'm in is to do nothing. Because I was up against yeah. two bob bombs. You know, if you hit the bob bomb once, they become activated. And then when they do damage to you, it's unblockable and it's two points mm. rather than one point that is blockable. So the best option is to take them all out at once with a strong attack. But if you can't do that, like if one person's already gone or something like that, it's best to just sit and wait. Block them when they attack you and then pounce on them like that. And that's kind of the simple, very basic strategy. Like, you almost don't even think about it as strategy because it's just coming so natural to you. Well, because, yeah, the numbers are very accessible. And one thing that I feel like is a really good mechanic that often games don't do as much yeah. is they really allow you to anticipate what your opponents are going to do. Like in your Final Fantasy, like occasionally the boss would just unleash this big spell. Yeah. Occasionally it attack a single guy and you're like, I hope he doesn't use that super powerful move that kills my team. It um, takes five minutes to execute. But like... One of the best uh, best examples of this is the indie game Slay the Spire, yeah. where um, the enemies just broadcast what they're going to do next turn, because then you can make the decision of, I'm going to respond to that this way. Yeah. And here, your enemies only have like two or three moves, so you can really think about what you're going to do and how you're going to respond. And just, again, when your attacks are doing, like in other RPGs, when your attacks are doing like 800 damage, there's just not really strategy there, aside from like, I'm going to use my strongest attack and my strongest heat. Yeah. every turn and hope that I win. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember I mentioned this in the Mario RPG podcast. Like, my sisters and I used to bring out a calculator mm. and, like, put in the boss HP and, like, subtract it all. Oh, no. And it's like, in, and so it's just kind of, you know, it's ridiculous. But in this one, it's just, it's all very simple and you just can keep track of it and, and really strategically plan. Yeah, and so I, your first partner that you get is a Goomba named Goombario. Mm -hmm. And his, his ability, he's kind of like the slippy toad of this game because he's <laughs> kind of annoying but he has he's a, he's a know-it-all and can analyze the enemy's health yeah so he can tattle on them and then you just get a little meter every time you encounter that enemy from then on that says how much health it has left i cannot believe how much text is in this game because of goombario yeah. he has something to say about literally every area and every single NPC, and there are hundreds of them. Yeah, it's and it's really bizarre because you'll just like go up to this toad who you've never met, and Goombario's like, "Oh, this is so and so," you know, <laughs> and he tells you like this Goombara? whole history of this guy. He's like he's like Metron like... from the DC comics on his like chair of power. <laughs> this is a Koopa. And, I've been catfishing him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and well, like, and it's crazy the things he'll say to you. There's like there's this like couple of toads in Toad Town, and you talk to them, and they're just like, "Oh, you know, we're." little couple of toads and we're in love blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> and then it's like if you if you do Gumbario's tattle on the guy he'll be like oh this toad was actually with another girl the other day <laughs> oh. <laughs> like what <laughs> Like, he just, like, has all this crazy information, and it's really bizarre, but it's, like, also just, like, there's, I mean, there's literally twice as much text that you would just see normally yeah. because of everything that Goombario says. No, and he's amazing, too, because at any time, you just walk around, you press down on your C button, and he'll tell you what you need to do next, so you're mm. not going to get lost in this game unless you are really trying to. Well, and I think that's kind of the thing that makes this game so good is the um, the pacing here, like... There's there's no real moments where it gets stuck, where you get stuck, or it feels like it's dragging. So no. many RPGs get to a point where you're like, now you're in the really hard dungeon, and there's just a bunch of floors, and you're just grinding through constant enemies. Yeah. 
Um, here, there's, I mean, it is a long game, but it's a constant stream of new areas to go through, and all the tasks sort of seem relevant to moving you forward. Yeah. Um, that, and yeah, go ahead. A, another thing I love about this um, and the other Mario RPGs is visible encounters. Yes. Yeah. Which, again, is another mechanic that isn't very popular. It's in, like, Earthbound. Mm. It's in, like, the newer Dragon Quest, but not the old one. And it just makes it... Because it's like, if you don't want to fight an enemy, you can just run away from it. And it just makes it so much more enjoyable. And that first strike uh, mechanic where you can get the drop on an enemy is very, very helpful. And also helps really drive home the platformer elements of this game. I think this this game synthesizes RPGs and like Mario-style platforming really, really yeah. smartly. Uh I mean, just from the way that the battles are so active and require timing and reflexes instead of just menu options, you know? It's a really, really smart way to integrate it. There's lots of little secrets to find in the world and to play around in. I, I think this might be one of the most accessible RPGs ever made. I mm -hmm. think anybody could pick this up. Uh, and and get started with it and enjoy it before they realize they're doing this. Well, high all level the mechanics are just like really intuitive. Yeah. It's not like oh, you need to raise your dexterity to use this bow. No, and no. they're like oh, I, I, what is dexterity? And you're like uh, yeah, it's how it's how good you can hold a bow. It's like <laughs> what what are your stats here? You have health, you have your flower power, which is like your magic, mm -hmm. and you have badge points. Oh man, I want to talk it. about badges. Let's talk about badges. Yeah, Why not? We we, we need stinking badges. We need uh, some badges because yeah. the badge mechanic in this game is awesome yeah because um, you know part of the heart of rpgs is customizing your character and um that's always a fun part of it but sometimes you play your uh final fantasy 12 or something and you get like this huge spreadsheet mm -hmm. of like powers to like one thing leads to another it's like this giant interconnected web of grids uh, and yeah it's like yeah, your charlie yeah. day on the uh on the, on the grid <laughs> linking with the thumbtack yeah. like if i get this power i can get this one next and with the ba the badge mechanic is you can buy badges you can find them in the world mm -hmm. um there's star pieces that you can trade for badges so they're sort of your main uh, goody that you're going to be getting along the way and each badge will give you a different ability it might just raise your health it might allow you to uh, jump on a spiked enemy mm -hmm. and you can might put on a funny sound effect yeah, exactly <laughs> and thank god they don't charge you any badge points for those <laughs> ones i would be so angry it's like oh three badge points to make him say boing instead yeah. of doink like who cares and yeah it's just so effective because you have a certain amount of badge points and every badge you use takes up a certain amount um, but you can at any point disable some badges and enable other ones so you never feel there's always a shitty feeling in RPGs where you're like I really want to get this skill but then I can't get this other one mm -hmm. and it's like am I going to have to restart the whole game to do this other build Yeah. here yeah. you're just like I'll yeah. try this and see how this works Yeah. and again it's also that's another part of the strategy because depending on the enemies you're facing you might need to be able to throw your hammer mm -hmm. because there's a flying enemy that you can't jump on or you know you need to use your quake badge because something is stuck on the ceiling that you can't hit. And it's just, you know, another layer of this really intricate strategy that the battle system has. And it's just so intuitively laid out. You know, every time you level up, you get very simple options. You can either add five points to your health, add five points to your flower power, or add three points to your badges. And it, so you, you get total control over how you're leveling up. 
And it, it just, I don't know, it instantly makes sense. It's like, okay, what do I need to do right now? Would it be more beneficial if I dump badge points in right now and then use a badge to increase my health or my flower power? Or do I want more offensive weapons? So it's it's just incredibly cleverly integrated. And it's uh, it's really hard. Maddie. when you play this game, do you, do you I always level up badges first. It's so hard yeah. to want to level up anything else. Oh no! I I like have to do it in order. Oh, I do in order. Hit points, flower badges. <laughs> yeah, I do the same. I think I do that twice, <laughs> and then I and then I just start dumping into badges, and then kind of go back. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> I tend to do the same. I'm like, ooh, this this isn't uh, this isn't balanced yet. Okay, let's do a little bit more over here. A little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like there's specific like damage dodge is my favorite badge mm. because it. It does an extra point of blocking if you manage to time your your defense. Yeah, that one's handy. So it's super. At the beginning of the game, it basically makes you invincible. I yeah. was very grateful. I, I just finished fighting uh, the the Cooper brothers in the end of the first chapter, mm-hmm. and I was down to one hit point. I didn't have any mushrooms, any kind of healing item, but I did think to equip the close call badge before I got in there, which makes it harder to hit me when I have low health. So I was able to squeak out a win in that just through. But it, but it also like it makes like the the Woody Woodpecker sound when it, it's like da 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 when it misses. <laughs> it's perfect, and then but it, it's the combat here is just so satisfying because a lot of the reason that I survived with that little one hit encounter is because I timed my blocks perfectly, and so it feels so so rewarding. Like this is the only RPG series I've ever played where I don't get bored of the battles. Like I just never mm. do. They they're always dynamic and interesting, even though they seem so simple on their face. Um, So there's also some really cute levels in between the stages where you get to play as Princess Peach, which is one of the rare instances where you actually get to control Peach. Uh, This isn't as fun as in like Thousand Year Door where you're baking the cake or... or... I think you bake the cake in this game, Steve. No, you bake the cake in this one. Oh, my bad. Okay. It's my favorite part of the entire game. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Well, I want to hear your thoughts, Maddie, on the Princess Peach section. I think they're just really cute um you know they're they're simple it's just kind of you exploring the castle but they're innovative because you know usually when peach is kidnapped she's in bowser's castle but since she's in her own castle you know she has more there's like secret passages and all this stuff that she knows about it and you know you're like you get to read bowser's diary (laughs) and and you know it's just it's it is. It's it's you know, it's just kind of calm and you know, there's some like really easy like stealth aspects mm-hmm. of it, but it's just it's like they're cute little breaks, they're pretty short and it just kind of is a nice little in between for each chapter, I think. I'm gonna say like the MVP of Mario RPGs overall is Bowser. I think Bowser mm. gets so much fun stuff to do in all of these, starting with Super Mario RPG, like uh, mild spoiler for people who haven't played that game, but midway through, Bowser joins your party, and he's helping you fight the bad guys. I mean, he's on that. the front of the box. He's on the front mm-hmm. of the box, but you don't know that you're not fighting him. Yeah, that's box. true. Yeah, um, yeah, but and here he just he gets all the funniest moments because. Bowser in pretty much every other game is just kind of a a voiceless big brute. He's never all that scary or intimidating, and he's still not scary or intimidating (laughs) here. 
but he's funny. He's like he's he's uh, the incompetent megalomaniac uh, who's just constantly blustering at his underlings who are always like failing him. I mean, I think out of all the Mario RPGs, this might be the one where he's the least interesting because he is still the big bad in this game. Yeah, and I think Bowser works the best when someone else comes and usurps his status as the big bad. Right, because it really sort of messes with his self confidence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then he gets all defensive and starts yeah. lashing out. Uh, I do want to. I haven't played uh, Mario and Luigi. Bowser's inside story, but I do want to play that. Yeah, the, the premise that of that game neat. is Mario and Luigi are shrunk down and you are inside Bowser's it's stomach. It's like inner space and yeah. Mario is Dennis Quaid. Yeah, but you <laughs> control Bowser too, don't you? Like on the top yeah, screen or yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a clever setup. Um, so. I, I must have baked that cake as Princess Peach so many times as a little kid because you have to hold it how, how, you have to cook it for like it's 30, 30 seconds, seconds, but they don't. And you have to just like count. They don't give you a timer. You have to count yourself. Oh, I'm getting flashbacks. Yeah, now. and my yeah, sense okay. of time was so bad. Every time, I, I think I baked it like five times. And I'm like, that was only 20 seconds. That was only five seconds. Okay, it's done. Yeah, exactly. I had a similar situation with the, the Final Fantasy VII remake I've been playing recently. Like, there's a, there's a part where you have to time analog stick presses to like activate some switches and your timing is always off always 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 it's so precise and irritating (laughs) yeah when i don't know i i i do appreciate the sort of breaking up of the story that the peach sections give but i was just so impatient about them that i was like i don't want to do a stealth section i don't want to wait 30 seconds for this cake to bake yeah (laughs) and then i would just kind of get bogged down and not be able to proceed i do feel like in the because there's peach sections in the Thousand Year Door as well, I believe. Yeah. Um, and I think they get a little longer and a little talkier. Same which... with, uh, I believe Super Paper Mario had some as well. Mm. Or maybe those were more Bowser sections. But... I need to replay that one. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, but yeah, so uh, let's talk about our party members. Because, you know, what RPG is complete without having your whole little party of buddies. So Mario gets to join up with one of eight different partner characters that are all new to this game. Uh, rather than teaming up Mario with his usual stable of buddies, like your your Luigi and your Donkey Kong, uh, these are all like, I mean, I'm not even going to say reformed bad guys because they're <laughs> just like... Yeah, most of them aren't bad guys. I no. think one of them you fight before he joins your party, but they're everyone just, else... They're just the non-feral versions of the yeah. regular people. Yeah, so you start off with Goombario the Goomba. You get Cooper the Koopa Troopa who lets you shoot his little shell to hit buttons. Bombette the Bob-omb who blows up walls and that opens up a whole other little layer for me like how can she constantly explode mm. and still be fine like I don't <laughs> understand the genetics of that I don't understand that, how that works but I'm glad she's okay yeah uh, we have Paracarry the Paratroopa who carries you over little spaces. And he's got like a little mini game associated with him because you can just pick up letters in the mm. game and then deliver them to people and they'll give you a star piece. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you get Lady Bow the Boo who lets you walk through certain walls. Uh, Watt the little Sparky and he illuminates areas, I believe. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. Sushi the Cheap Cheap, you can ride them across the water. And then Lacka Lester the Lacka too, who you can ride in their little cloud. Uh, yeah, and they all have their own unique moves in battle, and they also have unique moves that you can use in the overworld. So if you see a cracked wall, you can send Bombette over to that, blow it up, find a little secret behind it. Lots of cool little things to find. Yeah, I mean, it's a very very simple, like, obvious mechanic. Usually if you're like, oh, there's a gap that's too big, I'm going to, you know, fly across it with Paracarry or yeah. whatever. But again, it's just it's just, sim- just complicated enough to still be satisfying when you yeah. do it. And yeah, and it's also really easy to switch because if you use one of the C buttons, you can easily switch between your partners. So it's not like tedious or anything. And I think the game is very smart about the way it uh, balances out the characters. Like 
you're you're incentivized to keep using all of them. Yes. You know? So Gumbario is the first one you get, but he's also one of the most useful ones. You keep bringing him around so he can tattle on things in battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're always being rotated through the cycle, and you're never forgetting about one of them. Uh, so yeah, well, and two with the with the battle mechanics. Um, it, again, it's it just. Oh, they have different types of attacks. Like Umbario has like a jump based attack, so he attacks once and then again. Mm. Um, and then you know Koopa is a long distance single attack, and then by bets like a close distance single attack. Paracarry can hit you know enemies up on the ceiling, so they're all like really diverse. Yeah. There's all like there's something special about each and every one of them, and it's just it's great because usually when you have a bunch of party members, you just like end up like ignoring right. half of them yeah, yeah. And that was the case with like mario rpg a lot of the time is like oh, yeah, i'm yeah, not gonna play your, with this cloud guy yeah i always <laughs> forget about the cloud yeah or malice <laughs> the cloud and the clown actually both of those i always forget i was Wait, always who just, was the clown there was a clown he wasn't he was like a gnome he's like a puppet clown right or he's like a marionette yeah we used what to all this for us maddie he's, he's like an action figure he's, that ah. got turned into a real boy yeah but okay. is he a gnome action figure or a clown action figure he's like a he's like a wizard he's a star person Neither of them. Damn okay. It. okay, I was vastly. I gotta get my cataract checked. I think I was looking at it weird. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, what was I gonna say? I forgot. It doesn't matter. Fair uh, <laughs> the point is, Paper Mario is really good. Paper Mario is and so the, good. And the mechanics all make sense. You have about, I think there's eight or nine chapters here. Yeah. And they're all very clearly, you know, differentiated and laid out. And they're very, they're varied. Um, I. This is one of the few games where, like things really keep crackling the whole way through. Like a lot of RPGs, you'll sort of peak near sort of the beginning or the middle, and then they're just like, okay, now you're going to grind through a bunch of dungeons until you get to the last boss. And I feel like some of the levels at the end of Paper Mario are some of the best levels. Like I love the flower field that you play in. Yeah. That's such a pretty environment, and it's one that I wish more Mario games went back to. Yeah. Um, There's like you get shrunk down and go into a toy chest. And that's really cool. Which um, they kind of follow up on in uh, Mario Galaxy, I believe. Like, okay. Right? Wasn't there a toy chest level in that? Well, there's so many yeah, different levels so many in different that. Levels but, in that. Um, I yeah. love that, like, even the... So Mario, I guess we need to emphasize, too. Mario is like a paper cutout. All the characters oh, yeah, we've totally cutouts. dropped on that, even though it's the but, title. Of yeah, the game. but, but your, your environments are... It's not full 3D, but they have, like, depth. You can walk yeah. through them. And the game is always finding new little ways to surprise you and kind of remind you that, yeah, like, this world is paper still. Like... After you fight the first, like, King Goomba, you destroy his fortress, and uh, the the castle, it doesn't blow up, but it unfolds. Like, mm. a bit falls off, the windows turn out to just be decals, and they just fall off the fortress, <laughs> and then the whole thing just unfolds and becomes a bridge. Lots of little clever details just to remind you that even though this looks like a 3D polygon, this is still supposed to be folded paper. Yeah, uh, it's It's a great commitment to the bit. And just the little animations, like like I said, they they lean more into the paper element in later games. You can turn into a paper airplane or a little paper ship or things like that. But just the little details they have here, like when Mario falls, he flutters like a piece of paper mm. and lands gently. Oh uh, yeah, when you go into like the little toad house yes. to like rest, he's like do do do, and he just like <laughs> yeah, that, flies so under cute. the sheets. It's like a little envelope. He's just like whoop, yep, yeah. just sleeping in here. And then the the small the the little buddy of his goes into his pocket weirdly. I don't know how that works, but yeah, <laughs> he's got eight. He's got eight little buddies sitting in his pants. I guess they just they <laughs> fold and unfold. Yeah, and yeah, I guess so. He's Weird. got a pants full of gooblings. <laughs> pants full of friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I, I think uh, that's kind of about the end of my notes on that. I'm very excited for the Origami King coming out next month on the Switch. I think that's going to be really fun. Again, really, just from the title alone, really leaning into the paper element of it. And I'm excited to see what kind of visuals they're coming up with on that. And what what is Maddie? If I if I made you pick here, where where what's your favorite Mario RPG between the two Paper Marios and you know Mario RPG? Huh? That's oh man, that's a really hard one. Um, I I feel like probably Thousand Year Door is the best game. Okay. I think just story written mechanics. I think it's the most well put together and interesting game but for me so the first paper mario is really special to me um just because it so it came out when i was in fourth grade and uh like i had i don't know if you guys had seen like the magazine ad but it was like it was like a like a the paper mario with like a dotted line around it and it was like free demo oh okay. and i was like it was like the oh, funniest cute. thing i'd yeah. ever seen that's really cute i like and, that you know it like came in like my issue of nintendo power or whatever and i like showed it to my dad and then like my dad just like picked me up from school one day and he was like oh look in the back of the car and he had like just bought me paper nice. mario Aww. and like the strategy guide and so it was just like really sweet and then I just, I don't know what it was about this game, but I just, like, got obsessed with yeah. it, and I was, like, trying to make my own, like, trading card game based on <laughs> That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. And, like, so it's just, it's, this one is really special to me for a number of reasons. Um, So, like, just, like, because of all that kind of stuff, like, this is probably my favorite, but it's just, it's hard because these are, like, three of my top games of yeah, all time. And so. playing through this um, had really made me want to play through some of the other ones because I realized that so many of my memories of the Paper Mario series are from this game. There were yeah. so many parts that I thought were in the Thousand Year Door that are actually in this and I'm like, I don't really remember what's in the Thousand Year Door at all. <laughs> no. Um, I remember there's a yeah, whole I bunch of that, pipes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the characters stand out quite as much in Thousand Year Door. No. Um, but it's like they added like the audience mechanic, mm-hmm. which I think is really great. Mm-hmm. All the like you mentioned, like when he can fold into a paper airplane and like a boat and stuff and, and also just being able to turn sideways. Yeah. So you can fit into I thought that was in this first game too, but then I was like, oh I guess not. So a lot of those mechanics I think added a whole nother layer but yeah i think the characters in this one are a little more memorable yeah i would agree with that i think i always think weirdly lady bow is the character i always think back on when i think of this game like i don't know <laughs> the, I just, the boo I, with the, the bow the boo with the bow yeah she, she's, adorable. she's really cute though i do love in thousand year door there's like the casino and like all the boos wear cat ears oh right <laughs> it's like the greatest thing ever so that's adorable um, um yeah Oh, good. Oh, I was just going to mention, too, we didn't talk about Lil Oinks, which is another, apart from baking the cake as Princess Peach, is probably my favorite. Oh, I don't remember Lil game. Oinks at all. No, what's Lil Oinks? In, in Toad Town, there's right near the train station, there's this little like farm where you can buy these things called Lil Oinks <laughs> okay. for 10 coins a piece. <laughs> And it's just, it's a random one. So it's like you, you hit this thing and it spits out an egg and all the eggs look the same, but you break the egg open and then it'll be a little oink inside (laughs) and it'll, it'll be a certain color or it'll have a pattern or it'll be like flashing. And then you talk to the toad and he'll be like, oh, that's a so-and-so little oink. He'll be like, oh, that's a spotted little oink or that's a starry little oink. 
And then you can have 10 of them. And then once you hit another one in, one of them will leave and it'll leave an item behind. Whoa, that's so it's, cute. It's like, I had no idea about like this. It's like the most nonsensical like part of this game. And it really does not matter. <laughs> but it's so cute. <laughs> and they're just these little like round little pigs. And they're adorable. And I always spend all my money on <laughs> little, little oinks. <laughs> you got a little oink addiction, and you bring you bring one up to the guys. Like I think you've had enough little oinks. You're like I've told you when I've had enough little oinks. Yeah, and this game even has a, there's even a cooking mechanic in this game. Like you can go to a chef, yeah. and bring bring him to uh, taste tea, taste tea, right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. And bring him different <laughs> ingredients, and then they'll turn it into. Uh, Something that restores more or less. It always super yeah. grossed me out that one of the items in this game is some someone's bump. Like you hit them with a hammer and then their bump falls <laughs> off, and oh, you're like, yeah. "Eat this to restore health." It's like health. one of the most powerful like, items in the game. Yeah. It's like 25 health and 25 flower points. <laughs> Eat this and bit you just of flesh that fell off. Whacking this poor little baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's very odd. Right. Uh, I think that is about it for Paper Mario. I think we should move on to our rankings, but uh, yeah. we have something Before first. we do, yeah. we want to do a little Ultra 64 shout-out. Um, if you're listening the day this comes out, just wish a happy birthday to Neil Crow, friend of the show, from Rosie, myself, and Steve. Thanks mm-hmm. for being a friend, a fan of the show, and for introducing your sister to the wonders of Nintendo 64. So, happy birthday, Neil. Hope happy it's a birthday, good one. Neil. Thanks so much for all you do, all your support mm-hmm. for the show. Yeah, we'll get you on an episode again soon. Uh, so, now we are moving on to the ranking portion of the show, where we are adding this game to our ongoing list of games in the Nintendo 64 library. We are up to 237. Oh, so many games. Woody, where is this going on your list? Oh, my God. Gosh, Steve, uh, this is going on number three on my list. Whoa, number what a coincidence. Three. Number, three, number right three, number three. Yeah, woo. Yeah, yeah. Um, very high. So that's high. right below Super Mario 64. Same it for me. seems sacrilegious to put it anything above Super Mario 64 unless it's NBA hang time, apparently. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But um, yeah, this game's just so, so well designed, and I feel like. For as influential as, say, like um, Ocarina of Time was, mm-hmm. this is a more fun game to go back to. It, it, I'm, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I still have a whole hell of a lot of affection for Ocarina of Time, yeah. but I am having an absolute blast revisiting this game. I'm going to finish it. I think uh, it's been 20 years since I finished it, mm-hmm. but I'm going to finish it again uh, because I'm just kind of blazing through it. And it's, I mean, it just clicks along the whole it's, time. It's fast. It's fun. It's endlessly inventive. There's always something new to discover. I didn't even know there were little oinks in the game. <laughs> and I, I'm going to go spend all my coins on Little Oinks right now. Um, well, not right now, because we do have one letter to read. Well, I'm just curious, where um, is this your favorite N64 game, Maddie? Or do you have other favorites? I, I think it is my favorite. I'm trying to think. I think there was a, like on Twitter, there's always like your, what's your four favorite blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think this is my favorite because I'm trying to think of my other favorite games on the 64. And I think it's like Kirby mm-hmm. 64 and Mario Tennis and something else. I don't remember. Body Harvest. I, Body Harvest. Everyone's favorite. <laughs> Armory's Project Swarm. <laughs> Bio Freaks. Yeah. Mace the Dark Age. <laughs> we played some but bad games is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. So I, did, I mean, I, I did not have that many 64 games. Yeah. Um, so... Uh yeah oh Pokemon Snap was the other one so yeah oh yeah this is my favorite this is my favorite 64 game by far I'd say I I think that's an excellent choice uh and I'm I'm very happy that we landed on the same place in the list with that I I was worried I was putting it too high but then we're talking about I'm like no way no No this is exactly where it belongs yeah it's it's so well designed 
Uh, we do have one letter this week. Remember, you can write us at ultra64podcast at gmail.com. It says, hello again, Ultra 64 crew and guests, if Hel- applicable. It is applicable this time. Yes, hello, previous writer. <laughs> uh, if my sub... Oh, uh, his subject header was, help, I'm trapped in Boy George's pants. That's oh, good. This is that. a reference to uh, Gex, <laughs> Maddie. just so you know, who was constantly <laughs> okay. referencing being trapped in Boy George's pants. Um, if, my, wow. if my subject header wasn't clear enough, I am writing after listening to your Gex 64, Gex 3 <laughs> episode. It must have been a slow holiday season when I got Gex 64 because I distinctly remember getting it paired with, wait for it, Glover, the other <laughs> must-have game of that season. I never made it far in Gex because it made me motion sick as well. Okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one it had that effect on. I never played Gex 3, but I did watch cutscenes from the PS1 version on YouTube, and all I can say is, what the fuck? <laughs> Gex declaring it's tail time right before turning off the lights was, we'll go with par for the course after watching all the other cutscenes. <laughs> Maddie, for some context, uh, Gex in this game has a relationship with a real-life human woman, and it's very creepy. Um, yeah, it's like I have really—I never played Gex, but I definitely have weird, vague <laughs> memories of like seeing the case or seeing things in magazines. Uncomfortable from, like, twinges. Mm. Yeah, they, <laughs> they they paired him with an it's actress like the, from Baywatch. It's like the, the bee movie, right? Kinda. Where the bee's like in love with a lady or something. Yeah, yeah but I don't a... think there was ever an advertisement where the bee was using its hands to cover up the lady's breasts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, God, I hope <laughs> not. Oh, that art probably exists somewhere. Um, okay, more back to the letter. Uh, you did discuss briefly how Gex could get rebooted for modern consoles toward the end of the episode, and I'd like to throw my two cents in. Please do. I 100% agree it should go back to being a 2D platformer, and it should be an indie game. I think it would work really well with the franchise if Gex somehow got sucked into the game as it was being developed, and he made quips about things that were typically associated with indie games, like the art style, collectibles, backtracking, music, etc. Each level could have a different art style, depending on which indie game it was satirizing, and it should be extremely referential. At least with this setup, Gex can be addressing us or the developer with his quips and it not seem like a mumbling Looney Tune. I don't know. It would be something I would play. That's an awesome idea. That's a great I mean, idea. I think that the sort of the cost of having an indie game is, you know, your budget's going to be a lot lower, so it might be hard to develop a different art style for every yeah. you know, stage, but it would be really cool to have one level look like Braid yeah. and another level looks like Blazing Chrome. That's really <laughs> cool. Know? That's super hot level. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I do have one question, though. You say comedy is difficult for games to pull off, so I'm wondering what are your favorite games that actually have good comedy in them? Thanks again for the quality content, and I look forward to each episode, and that is from Tom's. Thank you, Tom. That's apropos to the game we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, so games that do comedy particularly well. Uh, I, uh, Maddie, I'll start with you. Are there any off the top of your head that you can think of? Like, is, this, is this anything, anything. you're just yeah, saying anything. games? Um, Ace Attorney. Ace Attorney is very funny. Ace Attorney makes me laugh all the time. Oh, I love um, it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just... Yeah, writing uh, Psychonauts. I don't know. Psychonauts like, is really funny. Big pulled into writing. I think honestly, writing is probably one of the most important elements for games for me. Yeah. So yeah, those those come to me at, off the top of my head. Yeah, definitely. I th- Psychonauts would go on my list for sure. Um, Portal and Portal Two are both mm-hmm. uh, big favorites of mine. I think those are just brilliantly written. I find. The games that were like designed to be funny have held up the least. Like so, your like your, like your gexes, for your gexes, example? your maniac mansions. Your, your I feel yeah. like it was or like Conquer. It was of that Ooh, time. Yeah, like yeah. The, that Conquer is rough. Early two thousands. There's, there's uh, few laughs notes. to be found. In yeah, 
bad for South a day. South Park reigned supreme, oh. and everyone was trying to be edgy. How did we get through the 90s? Oh, my God. It was horrible. <laughs> well, um, it was well, it's worse oh, now. But yeah. <laughs> I, when you mentioned uh, Portal, I also thought of Stanley Parable. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's which, a really cool game. Yeah, and it's one of those games where you have to play it without no, really knowing what it is. Mm. And it's it's just... it's. That you know, dry British wit. I guess. Yeah, you know, I love yeah. Stanley Parable. I'm gonna put a put a vouch in. I think my two favorite funny games are Earthworm Jim Two, mm-hmm. which goes down as having one of the funniest manuals I remember. Um, I would just read the manual. It would have the table of contents, and then it, the next page would be the contents of table, and it would be like leg, wood, flatness. <laughs> and it was, that was really good. Um, and I, the game, The Curse of Monkey Island, is one of my okay. all-time favorites. I actually. Pulled yeah, my any... email address from um, that I've had for years from a scene where a bunch of pirates are singing and you have to get them to stop singing by that's saying the word orange. That's what that's from. Yes. Okay, I just thought it was because you were into boats and stuff. Well, I, I am yeah, into boats yeah, and yeah. stuff. But okay, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead, Maddie. I was... Oh yeah, no, I was just thinking like any you know Lucas Arts, like Tim Schafer, mm-hmm. stick him on something and it's probably going to be brilliant yeah so. i'm i'm the world's only defender of brutal legend so uh i will i will stand by that as well i think that's a pretty I, funny game i enjoyed brutal yeah legend it's a, a funny lot, game so. it's a funny game oh maddie thank you so so much for being here we were so excited to have you here uh where can people find all of your amazing artwork yeah you can find me on twitter at the letter o that's raspberry um i I a uh, lot, lot of One Piece. People know me mostly for my One Piece. Stuff. I'm guessing or we got also... some crossover between Nintendo 64 fans and yeah. One Piece fans. One Piece famously short uh, <laughs> manga series should be done any day now. Yeah, almost over. Um, but yeah, I'm always posting art there. I also do art for the One Piece podcast. Um, and like I mentioned before, I've been on Retronauts for their Mario RPG episode. I've also been on Talking Simpsons as well as What a Cartoon for some episodes over there. So, you know, if you have any of those other crossover interests, you can find me all those places. And I would strongly recommend them. I've listened to all of those podcasts. I think you're great on them, and I'm, I'm so excited that uh, you were able to come by. Thank you so much for being here again. Uh, and we have been Ultra 64. You can find us at Ultra 64 Podcast on all of the social medias, uh, so check us out there. Next week, we are playing some decidedly less exciting games. <laughs> uh, another bunch of racing games, because we got to get through oh, them. So many racing games, Steve. But you know what? These are kind of fun, too, because we also have... We, we intersperse our racing games with some... Uh, Anything, any, anything goes questions from listeners. I've got a couple stocked up, but if you want to send more questions to us, send them to ultra64podcast at gmail.com, and they can be about anything. We will talk about anything in between these games. But the games that we're talking about this time are going to be World Driver Championship, Automobili Lamborghini, and California Speed. Didn't we already play all those? We certainly did not, <laughs> but I can understand why you would think we did. <laughs> so tune in for those. We're going to have some great questions from listeners. Uh, thank you once again to Maddie. Check out Oh That's Raspberry on Twitter and all of her amazing work. And, uh, and get flat, everybody. Every No, it was every... What did Maddie say about the partners? Everyone has something that makes them special. Oh, that's, and that's nice. And I think the same can be said for our listeners. <laughs> so... So write in and tell us what makes you special. Say it's only a paper moon Sailing over a cardboard sea But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believed in me Yes, it's only a canvas sky Hanging 
over a muslin tree But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believed in me Without your love It's a honky-tonk parade Without your love It's a melody played in a penny arcade It's a Barnum and Bailey world Just as phony as it can be But it wouldn't be make-believe If you be. Believe. 